Like I mentioned earlier this morning, Happy New Year. Today is the first day of Advent. Advent, as Tracy mentioned to the children, is this Latin word for coming or arrival. I say Happy, happy, happy New Year because it's a time as the church when we begin the new year. And I love to think of this as organizing the year, not by, some, by the words of some emperor or the idea of some Roman empire, but that the year is organized around the church, around the life and death and cross and resurrection of Jesus. Today is the first day of Advent. Advent is a season of remembering, a season of hoping. Today we begin the season of Advent, and we begin by remembering that Jesus has come. That God in heaven became God with us. That God immortal became God Emmanuel, God among us. The Word became flesh, and He made His home among us. We remember that Advent is a season of remembering and rejoicing, celebrating that God has come. That He he didn't just stay in the heavens and hope that things work out. God got involved in our lives. He got involved in human history. And we celebrate this. And as much as we celebrate that God has come, we celebrate that God is coming again. He is coming again. And we have this hope. As Christians, we are a people of hope. Because Jesus came and He said, I will come again. And this is the hope that we live in. Hope that one day all things will be made right. All things will be made new and good. That on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is coming again. And in this season, we remember that and we hope for it. Advent is a season of hope. But it is also a season to remember that we live between the times, between the first Advent and the second Advent. That we live in a time, though Christ has come, though He has changed everything, though He has changed the course of human history, things are still not as they should be. There is still war. There is still famine. There are still people who are pressed out of their homes, people who are isolated, who are pressed down and stepped on. Things are not as they should be. It doesn't take us too long. We don't have to go very far before we're reminded that we live between the times. And yet we still hope. We still hope. We are a people of hope. And it's out of this hope that we cry out, Lord, rend the heavens, tear the heavens apart and come down. Let the mountains shake that people might see your power. That people might see who you are. Lord God, let them see your love and be turned. Let them see your love and begin to follow you, trust their lives to you. Lord, let them see that you are holy and then be convicted of their sin and turn from it. Lord, let them see that you are just and begin to care for the weak, the disenfranchised, the dispossessed, people who are pressed out, people who are oppressed by evil. God, let them see your mercy. Let them see your mercy and receive grace. God, show your power. Show your power in mountains that shake and seas that are calmed by your voice in miracles that heal people, that restore them in signs and wonders. God, let people see your power in the cross. This amazing paradox of Savior crucified. Let the world see your power. 
Because this world refuses to recognize you. We live in a world where people refuse to recognize God. In their arrogance, they laugh with incredulity at God, saying to themselves, I'm too smart to believe in fairy tales. I'm too smart to believe in an old man with a white beard in the sky. Or they say, I'm too rich. I have everything I need. Why do I need God? I am able to buy my own food. I've paid for my own mortgage. I buy my own cars. Why would I need God? Or pride. They say, because I've, I've bought all my own things. Because I have earned it. I am the one who leads my life. I don't give my life over to anyone. No one tells me what to do but me. Our world refuses to recognize God. And so our world is corrupt. People's lives are corrupt. Corrupted by greed. We live in a society where greed runs rampant. People, our society is filled with takers. People who take and take and take. Even though they can't take anymore, they still take. Even though they'll never use it all, they still take at the expense of others. At the expense of the weak. People often halfway around the world who can do nothing else but have it taken from them. We are the richest society in the world. The richest society in history. And yet there are still people who take more and more. Spending more and more on themselves neglecting those who, who need just food to eat and a home to live in. It is a criminal misappropriation of funds. Greed runs rampant in our world. Violence runs rampant in our world. Violence we hear about on the news, wars, battles, violence that breaks out in our cities or in our towns, then there's also the violence we don't hear about. It's quiet and swept under the rug. Violence of parents with their children. Violence between neighbors. This world is filled with violence. We are, this society is corrupt because people refuse to recognize God. And so as a hopeful people, as the people of God, we cry out, Lord, tear the heavens open. Come down. Let the mountains shake at your presence. Let people know that you are here. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, because people don't know how good you are, God. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. They can't imagine how good you are. They can't imagine this amazing God. This amazing God who takes care of, who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. And by wait, there's this Hebrew idea of wait, which to me sounds more like anticipate. The Lord acts on behalf of those who anticipate. There's this active sense to waiting. As followers of Jesus, we wait actively. Part of this comes through prayer. Prayer is a great way to wait actively. To pray, Lord God, let your kingdom come. Lord, do the good things that you desire to do in this world. God, grow your kingdom that more and more people would find this new life in you. Prayer is this powerful thing that we can do while we wait. And also serve. Serve our neighbors 
Continue doing these things to cultivate the kingdom of God. See, I was thinking about this in terms of, of a garden. Many of you are gardeners. You know that in the spring you plant. And you know that the, the crop won't come until the end of summer. Do you just put the seeds in the ground and then go sit and watch? No. You put seeds in the ground and you cultivate. You pull out weeds. You trim back plants. You cultivate. You don't just sit and watch. You cultivate. And so it's a time for us. God acts on behalf of those who cultivate, who work to grow His kingdom here, to participate, to join in with what God is already doing. God works on behalf of those who wait for Him. And He works on behalf of those who do righteousness, who see injustice and refuse to just keep walking, who see and hear of injustice and refuse to remain silent. People who do something. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to know all the answers, but we have to do something. God is in favor of or works on behalf of those who do righteousness. People who contribute to kernels of hope so that food could be provided to people in Sudan. People who contribute or sponsor or work with the Prices Pregnancy, Prices Pregnancy Center here in Nelson to help women who have been in this pregnancy unexpectedly to make choices that honor God, that glorify Him. We've been called to minister to people here in Balfour through food hampers, caring for our neighbors. We're not even waiting for the church to organize it, to do it yourselves. God acts on behalf of those who do righteous. And He acts on behalf of those who remember His ways. Isaiah says he works on behalf of those who remember his ways. Now in Hebrew, there's this active sense or this this sense of remembering as to to make it happen again or to make it appear again. And so we remember God's ways by living them out again. In the Hebrew sense of remember, they would say you've forgotten God's way. Even if you said, no, I know what he says and you do something else, you've still forgotten in the Hebrew idea. So we remember God's ways. We remember them as people, each of us, reminding ourselves. But also, and maybe more importantly, we remind each other as a church. As a community of faith, we remind each other what it means to follow God. We remind each other of God's ways, of God's idea for marriage. And we encourage each other to have faithful marriages, marriages that are good and growing. We remind each other of that God is generous. God's way is generous. That we keep putting down generous. That we keep putting down our greed. We remind each other to be generous. And we remind each other to set down our idols. To put down the things that get between us and God. We serve this amazing God. This amazing God who is our Lord. He's done amazing things and He looks after those who wait for Him. He acts on behalf of those who remember His ways. He loves us as children. God loves you because you are His children. And yet, as amazing as God is, as amazing as His love for us is, we still sin. Isaiah, you're too honest for us. 
Isaiah says, you have sinned or we have sinned. And we continue to sin. We continue to fall short of God's glory. The reality is we are broken. We are broken people. We see it in our world. When we're honest, we see it in our lives. Even we who believe. It is true as in in Christ we are a new creation. God's Spirit dwells in us, yet we still struggle with sin. We still struggle with the things that we know that are against God's design for us. The things that are hurtful to others, we still struggle with them. Paul talks about it often in his letters. He struggles to do the right thing. The thing that he doesn't want to do, that's what he does. The thing that he wants to do, he finds so hard. The good thing, the faithful thing. As Christians, we struggle ourselves with sin. Let us never forget that. As reading Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about the idols of our heart. See, most of us as Christians, like we, we don't have any idols in the church. No golden calves laying around. No dog, man figures stacked up anywhere. We don't have any idols. Except maybe the idols of our heart. The idols of our heart like our stuff. The idols of our heart like our success, our, our prominence, or our power. Or maybe we, we don't really have those problems. You know, maybe we've grown enough. Maybe then our idol becomes our spiritual pride. How spiritual we are. Or we become self-righteous and condescending, looking down our noses at other Christians. Ezekiel talks about the idols of our heart. As Christians, these are dangerous for us. You see, God is angry at sin. God is angry at sin because He is holy. That means God is without sin. No sin at all in Him. Nothing impure, nothing wrong in God. And for him to endure sin, it's impossible. It's like oil trying to mix with water. It can't be done. Not only is God holy, God is just. God is a God of justice. Jesus is here for justice. And so we can't just hear about things that we've done or that people have done and just act like it's okay. He can't just act like it never happened or look the other way. Imagine how horrible it would be if God was not just. Imagine if Jesus was not about justice. How horrible that would be. A God who didn't care when the weak were oppressed, when people, when there was genocide, when one army moved through a country and killed everyone. Imagine if there was a God who didn't care about that. We want God to be just. We want God to be holy. But with holiness and justice comes anger at sin. And it's right. It's right for God to be angry at sin. And there's nothing that we can do on our own strength to make things right. We cannot earn our place with God. We cannot earn our life with God. It comes by grace. Only Jesus can make us right with God. We can't do it ourselves. We are too broken. 
We're too twisted on the inside. Our sin is too strong. Our selfishness has too much sway with us. Our pride has too much pull. Our comfort is too much inertia. It's too comfortable. We can't do it on our own. As amazing as God is, as faithful as God is, we still sin. We still do the things that we regret. The things that we're ashamed of, that we would never want to mention to anyone. But here's the good news. Here's the hopeful news. It's as challenging as this may be, as convicting as this may be. Isaiah speaks hope. Condemnation is not the last word for us. He says, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. And he humbles himself before God. If we will humble ourselves before God, then there is grace for us. If we will humble ourselves, start trying to convince ourselves that we're okay, that we have done nothing wrong, if we will let the Holy Spirit convict us, if if that happens and then we would repent, and by repent I mean living one way and repenting, confessing to God and living faithfully after Him, then there's hope for us. There's more than hope. There's grace. God's amazing grace and mercy. And because we have grace, we are no longer afraid. There is no fear in us. The amazing God, the God who created everything, God who created this world, all of us, the universe and everything in it, we call Him Abba. We call Him Father because of our belief in Jesus. Jesus has given us this right to be called children of God. We call God Father. And so, encourage now, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because we have been cleansed by His blood, because on the cross He died that we might have life, we have courage. There is no fear in us. We can hope and we can ask, or we can cry out these words, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Rend the heavens and come down. Let the mountains shake at Your presence. Let those who oppose You know Your name, know that You are real. Let the nations tremble at your presence. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We are a people of hope. Today is the first day of Advent, and are we reminded that we are a people of hope? Reminded that Christ has come, and he is coming again. Amen.